is the Entertainment Beyond Podcast with your host, Jensen Dean Jackson and Alan Weinstein, bringing you all things relevant in pop culture and entertainment. We will be with you weekly, at least, talking about movies, politics, music, and all things in between. So check us out. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Welcome back to another episode, my truffle hunters. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Orphan First Kill. Now, there are a couple reasons why this uh, this sequel was not going to be watched by me, much less talked about on the podcast by me. But then someone from my job suggested it, and I'm always open to taking suggestions. You guys just have to let me know what you would like me to cover. Otherwise, I'm left up to my own devices and I cover what I want to cover, boy. But yeah, one of the reasons that Orphan... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse me again. Orphan... One of the reasons Orphan First Kill, I didn't think it was going to work, is because, one, the first movie came out, like, in 2009. If my math is correct, which it never is, that would be... Almost 13 years ago. That's issue one. It's just uh, so much space. If you really needed to tell a second story or a prequel, you would have done it closer, one would think. But Hollywood is a fickle, fickle bitch. Um, that's the unofficial sponsor. Crack it open, by the way, in case you were wondering. Spindrift. Pink lemonade. Spin to the drift. Drift into the spin. Get that hydration. Uh, the other reason that I didn't think Orphan First Kill was going to work is because the actress who plays her is, like, damn near close to her 30s. It didn't really seem like it was going to be a recipe for success. And I am very thrilled and a bit shocked to be able to admit and tell you that Orphan First Kill was the shiznet, as people from my generation would say people of the 90s um it shouldn't work right because isabel Furman is a fully grown woman and i mean and, and they do such a good trick uh, when it comes to movie magic it'll never be more present than whatever witchcraft and wizardry they were using or employing to make this fully grown 30 year old woman look like she was, you know, someone who had dwarfism. Uh, it was so convincing. I had to Google just to make sure that she wasn't secretly really a dwarf, like someone who actually had this condition. And, you know, shouldn't have been to my surprise that she was a uh, just acting. This is movie magic at its finest, in my opinion. The movie starts off, and the way the trailers play it, it almost seems like the person who starts her first day at the sanitarium or the orphanage or wherever those poor children are being held at, it almost sets it up as if she's going to be like the avenging angel through the movie via way of the trailer. At least that's what the way that that's the information I took from the trailers. It's this random person that's in the movie for no more than maybe maybe seven or eight minutes total. I thought she was going to be the main protagonist of this piece, 
And uh, so that's where we pick up. It's her first day. They're telling you, and damn, I forgot the girl's name already. The, the, her real name, not her grifter name, not Esther, but the real name. But he's telling, you know, she's the most dangerous one. So she happens on her. And I, I also thought that we would spend a little bit more time in the sanitarium slash orphanage slash whatever the fuck that place was, those poor children were being held. But we're only there, you know, to set up how cunning and crafting uh, Esther, because I can't remember her real name is, how cunning and crafting she is. And uh, she uses it with a, what I'm assuming is a sanitarium, because there's children in there. Well, no, no children. That's right, because she's a 30-year-old woman. Gosh, get it together, Jensen. Um... You're showing her cunningness, you know. And, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if I ever happened on someone that told me, like, yo, I I may appear to be no older than 10 or 11, but I'm actually 35. I'm going to be like, damn, that's crazy, but I'm definitely not going to try no creeper shit. So I wrote down in my notes at the time, first during the movie, I said, uh, probably the only victim of the killer in this movie I don't feel bad for would be that disgusting, sick-ass security guard who's probably a pedophile, because anybody who's going after someone who is actually 30 years old but looks like a 10-year-old, I'm definitely going to say you're a putty-file. Putty-file, jeez. No, you're a pedophile. Sick motherfucker. So when she smashed his head against the wall like a grape and took his shit and dipped, I, I wasn't really feeling, you know, too much shame about enjoying that, because gross uh so then she escapes the uh and this she's like somewhere in fucking russia or moscow or somewhere where it's like eternal winter you know so then you get her leaving the sanitarium she she pops up in front of the windshield of the the new uh orderly and makes the shushing noise and then just disappears fucks off into the ether so then we we head to which by the way I got to say it's been it's been a long time since uh it has been an age since I've had the pleasure of watching Julie Styles act and she's still one of my WCWs which would be Woman Crush Wednesday uh Julia Styles got gosh dog man that woman can get it ouch she walked in this room right now I'd be like Julia it's good to see it's good to see you. I've been saving the last dance for you. <laughs> but no, she fine. She mad fine. Uh, so <clears throat> you meet them, you know. They're they're obviously somewhere stateside, I would assume. So you meet up with Julia Stiles and, and the husband, and they're watching their son doing a fencing lesson. And then you see an uh, Asian gentleman who's a cop went and talked to him, letting him know, hey, we found your lost daughter. And... Uh, I've also jotted down that it has to be pure insanity that some random-ass person can claim to be a parent's missing child. And initially in the movie, the cops are like, yeah, shit, seems legit, checks out. She kind of looks like her. White girl with uh, brown hair. Yeah, you guys are good to go. Case closed. It would um, soon later come to find out, you know, so... so uh, fake Esther, the grifter, uh, making her way through the movie, trying to get acquainted with her new life and learning, you know, the perfect things to say to continue to thrust the grift forward, forward, 
having trouble talking, folks. Bear with me. Bear with me as I sip another tasty sip of this unofficial sponsor, Spindrift Pink Lemonade Flavor. Gotta get that hydration, son. I gotta get it. Oh, I feel refreshed, renewed, and reborn through the mists of eroticism. Back to the movie. So, there have been some fuck-ups and, and shit starting to unravel faster than in the original Orphan movie. So then you have a point where the parents go away. And at this point, you think, at least I was thinking, the parents, everybody thinks, you know, the shit's going good. Everybody thinks it's what it is and whatnot and it's cool she's gonna get away from this grift until she eventually has to kill them so then the parents head away for a some kind of rich people benefit shit you know get them drunk give them your money type of deal and uh so then the son is having a house party tells his not sister to fuck off or whatever the uh, Asian gentleman I had referred to earlier, the detective, shows up, you know, because that, so there's a scene earlier where Esther is walking away from the therapy office with her not legit mother, and the Asian, why do I keep calling him the Asian gentleman? The detective is uh, in the background taking photos of Esther, well, the grifter, and uh, so then you cut to the party, and... Uh, one, he does something that cops do all the time that a lot of people don't know they can't do. Cops, unless they have a reasonable suspicion, need to ask for permission to enter the premises. So kind of like vampires. They can't cross, a thre- cross the threshold unless you invite them, unless they have suspicion to believe that somebody might be in danger inside the premises, which if I brushed up on my law at that point, they can enter the premises without permission, but typically cops need to, not typically cops need to ask for permission unless they have a warrant that's a no-knock or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> so he does that, and he does that under the guise of smelling, being able to smell marijuana from the street. And, you know, this movie's set quite a ways in the, in the past, so weed was definitely still legal wherever they were at. I can tell you that as an avid weed smoker myself, weed was definitely illegal whenever this movie is supposed to take place. So then, you know, the son says, you know, hey, my parents aren't here. They want to appreciate you poking around without their consent. So you should probably fuck the fuck off. And the cop's like, well, hey, do you mind if I use the head before? And, and I'm a suspicious motherfucker. So I knew as soon as he said that he was going to use the bathroom, he was going to do some poking around, you know, do some uh, doing his due diligence. You know, he, this is another this is one of the few people in this movie that gets killed that I feel bad for as the detective because he's not doing anything wrong he's not doing anything nefarious he's just donning his eyes and crossing his teeth and so uh you have the you know he eventually finds something with the grifter's fingerprints on it and bags it bags and tags for evidence go back to the office to continue the diligence that he was doing and uh surprise surprise esther stabs him out stabbed him in the back of the uh the lower right base of the neck and then poked him full of holes a bunch of times in the back and in the side and uh you have the grifter saying how'd you know i wasn't esther her own mother doesn't even know that she's esther 
that or, or how'd you know I wasn't Esther? Her own mother doesn't even know. And uh, then you get the big surprise twist. Uh, you hear a gunshot, or the cop says, she knows, kid. And then you hear a gunshot, and surprise twist, Julia Stiles, the mother, kills the cop, or more, more, or more, or more accurately to say, finishes a job that the grifter started, uh, and I was pretty fucking, I was like, what the, f- what the fuck? What? Like, she just, the mom killed the cop. Uh, plot twist to, to end the second act, and then... The third act picks up uh, that uh, Julia Stiles, this character, uh, divulges to the grifter that her daughter is dead. And her she says that her son always played rough with his sister. So basically, she tells the grifter that she knows for certain that the grifter is not Esther because Esther died at the hands of her son. And the mother knows that because she helped the son covered up while keeping the father in the dark. And, um, I mean, I've never had nobody do nothing like that to me, but I've had, I know what it's like to be manipulated like that. And that, that right there blew my fucking mind. That, that second act twist kind of just blew the doors wide back open. I'm like, this it's a movie that is better than it fucking has any right to be. Like, fully shocked. You know, call me Silk the Shocker, because I was I was electrified by that, that twist. Uh, another aspect of, of, the, of her covering up for her son's accidental homicide of his little sister is that seems to have mentally fractured the character that Julia Stiles plays because she starts talking to herself after she kills a detective about how she always has to clean up after her children and whatnot. It was very uh, riveting performance, in my opinion, from a movie that I expected to be complete dog shit. Uh, uh, it's also another plot twist to me that the the second act twister that while a fake Esther may be some type of evil, the true villain of this movie or villains more properly is the mother and son duo, which again, just, it shocked me. So then you, you get that revelation, which uh, my mouth was agape and my hand was over my mouth because I was very shocked. Um, she basically enters into a contract with the grifter to like, look, my husband has been a better person since your fake ass came back around. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pretend like everything is on the up and up, even though it's on the down and low. And <clears throat> she clues the son in. You know, it just, it's just such a fucking mind fuck. I never expected that. I never saw that coming in a million years. And here I was on yesterday's podcast talking about how I can see things coming Uh but I was also talking about the fact that movie makers, directors, script writers sometimes make things a little too obvious. And obviously, these script writers were on the motherfucking ball. Uh, so yeah, then the rest of the movie is just a, a game of cat and mouse. Uh, 
between the mother-son duo and the grifter, with the father being none the wiser. You know, there's one point where I think I think the mother character was trying to add sleeping medication to uh, the grifter's mac and cheese, but the grifter being, you know, when you're in that line of work and, and, and the jig is up, um, you're on your toes. And so Julia Stiles, mom character, at one point at dinner tries to feed her mac and cheese with hot dogs. Hot dogs, hot dogs, not dogs. And uh, the grifter doesn't trust it, so she's got this little rat friend companion, and she feeds it to the rat. And I'm like, shit, that rat's gonna fucking die because the mom put a lot of sleepy sleeps in that shit. And not to my surprise, the rat does fucking die. And so uh, then it's on from there. Esther, fake Esther, uh, makes the family breakfast in the morning time. A lovely little spread. Looked tasty. Made me motherfucking hungry because I love food. You know, I'm like Tyrese from Too Fast, Too Furious because we hungry. Um, Julia Stiles' mother, Julia Stiles' mother, Julia Stiles' character in the movie, uh, officer to breakfast and, and fake Esther, you know, because she's a grifter, so she already knows what she likes in her protein shakes and she makes it for her. <laughs> and Julia Stiles' character's so fucking tepid towards sipping it that she's scared it's been poisoned the same way she tried to poison Esther. Um, but surprise, surprise, it's the dead rat friend, which is just like another, like this movie is clanging and banging, throwing singers left and right at me. I was dodging and flodging. That was, that was fucking nasty, to, uh, to be honest. But then it's, you know, a- after that, you know, the mother and son duo decide that enough is enough and they're going to kill Esther. And this is the thing that, you know, because in the first movie, I, I would say that in the pantheon of serial killing, serial killer leaning people, Esther is definitely not a villain villain. I mean, what she's doing is evil, you know, ripping people off for money and stuff. That's one thing. Killing is kind of what makes you evil. But this movie pauses it, posits it. it. It plays, if you've seen The First Orphan, this movie plays very well with manipulating your own expectations of the proceedings uh, to deliver something where she's not the protagonist, but she's also not the antagonist. She's a gray area. And it's not quite like what Disney's infatuation with turning their villains and be like, no, no, wait, wait, you just don't understand. You just don't get it. Let us tell you the story, the real story. I mean, because I don't know how, you know, not to get off on a tangent, nothing like that, but I'm sorry, Cruella DeVille, someone who eventually goes on to be a dominator of the fashion world because she skins puppies and wears them, you're a fucking bad person. I don't give a fuck about what happened in your past to make you push you to the point where you skin puppies. You're bad. You're a bad mamma jamma. Cruella, I don't care if your haircut is bitching. You're an evil fucking person. You know what I'm saying? And it's kind of the same digs with, with Esther. But this movie, by the end of the movie, it kind of mentally manipulates you and you're like, shit, how can you be mad at that? You know what I'm saying? And not to give everything away because there's some really great kills in it and I don't want to Uh, I don't want to ruin it, but I I uh, also had noticed that towards the uh, I was surprised to find out towards the 
tail end of the movie that the perverted, probably pedophile security guard that was the first kill in the movie would not be the only kill that I would enjoy in this movie because she does kill the mother and son. How? I'm not going to spoil that for you. Come on. You're my truffle hunter. You got to do the work yourself, baby. I'm just here to give you my thoughts and views. Um, so, yeah. Oh, 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 another shout out. So, towards the end of the movie, the father, like I said, goes on a trip. And that's when the mother and son decide to uh, try to murder the grifter. Uh, wherever that dad was going on the train, he'd shout out to that cab driver. Because that cab driver got him back just in time to watch his wife splat on the fucking pavement like a goddamn grape uh again i don't want to ruin any of it but the movie does you know it's set up in the first movie so the movie naturally has to follow that inclination and she has to survive a burning house or whatnot and while it is a cool fucking visual to see a tracking shot of the actress isabel Furman walking through a house that's completely it's a disco inferno it's lit ablaze um it is while it's very cool it's a very cool visual to have a camera tracking shot of someone walking through a burning house it is completely outside of the realm of being even remotely possible because smoke inhalation is a thing and she just like walks out the front door head held high and like this guys this is you drop the i guess when you're talking about the story you're telling i guess you can afford to have minimal realism but come on, guys, she should have, anybody else would have been like, they probably wouldn't even have made it all the way down those stairs, all the way through that big sweeping hallway and shit. They would have fucking died. They probably would have clawed right up to the fucking door and they would have died like any other person. Smoke inhalation is a real fucking thing. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it kind of just broke the immersion. It was because the movies, for me, honestly, the premise and the fact that it's been so long since the first one, and the fact that it just shouldn't have worked. This movie is like the little engine that could in my eyes. And um, I want to give it three puffs. I really do. But that fucking end where she's walking out of the house, like the hero of the picture... And, you know, cool, you want to you make her the hero of the picture? Cool. Make your hero have to scritch and scrape on the floor because smoke inhalation is a real thing. So while I enjoyed the rest of the movie, that did break, um, did break my immersion a bit. So I'm going to give this, I wanted to give it three puffs, but I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it two puffs. Uh, it's going to lose a puff because the unrealistic... Uh, practicality of the smoke inhalation not even being a fucking thing for anyone for anybody in that movie apparently because the husband was able to take a cab run through the entirety of the house and end up on the roof like he was uh the motherfucking flash or something but i still don't don't let don't let that uh those two negative opinions make you think that i didn't appreciate orphan first kill not only is it in theaters for a limited time but it's also on paramount plus streaming so either way, I guarantee if you if you somewhat found the first movie original and introtaining, you are definitely not going to get your biscuits burned by watching this sequel, aka prequel, Orphan First Kill. 
Go check it out, ladies and gentlemen. And I want to thank you again for joining me for another episode of Entertainment Beyond. As we always say at the end of each episode, keep it classy and stuff it down with a lot of brown. And by this point in the game, this late in the game, you know I'm not talking about heroin or dirt weed or just regular dirt or mud. I'm talking about lower to top shelf whiskey. Get that shit, pop that cork, get that power, stuff that brown down, son. And I will catch you on the next one, boy.